In my dream, I'm standing beside a pond with my dad, who's the most important person in my life. He's on crutches, as he was most of his life, ever since a childhood bout with polio left him with a paralyzed leg and a twisted spine and a lot of other physical problems. We're just hanging out the way we often did, when suddenly my dad dives into the pond and he starts swimming in this exaggerated butterfly. And I'm totally panicked. I go, Dad, what are you doing? Stop. Think about your heart. Because in reality, about four years before, my dad called to tell me he had cardiomyopathy, which he described as a flabby left ventricle. <laughs> there was no cure for him, um, but there were a lot of drugs to thin his blood and kind of ease the load on his heart. And my dad seemed okay with that. Um, so we talked a while longer, and when we hung up, I was living in Tucson at the time. My dad was in Alabama where he'd lived his whole life. So after we hung up, I biked down to the library in Tucson, and I looked for those numbers that I'd been too afraid to ask. One to six years. <clears throat> And now here's the crazy thing. My dad wasn't in great shape. He was overweight, he was a smoker, and he had polio. Um, but I clung to that number six as if it was a promise. And at 29, six years seemed like a pretty long time. One of my first memories of my dad are these buddy trips we used to take when I was about four. We'd go out to his Dodge Dart, we take two bottles of Coca-Cola in the green Kirby bottles, package of crackers, small jar of mayonnaise, and a, can, a tin of sardines, the kind you roll back with the key. And while my dad started driving, I would fish out the crackers, slather on the mayonnaise, put the sardines on top, and then we'd pop the whole thing into our mouths for this crunchy, salty, fishy concoction that we'd wash down with a couple of swigs of Coke. It was great. <laughs> and my dad would drive toward the east side of town where the wealthy people, like my Aunt Booty, lived. And as we'd start up the lanes with the huge mansions and the big lawns and the old black gardeners leaning on their shovels, my dad would pretend to get lost. He would look over at me, he would drum his hands on the dashboard, and at some point he would say, buddy, I don't know if we're going to get out of this alive. This <laughs> <laughs> I loved it, it was great. And just when the tension would just be more than my four-year-old self could bear, we would burst out of those hills into downtown Birmingham, and we'd be safe again. <laughs> well, so the years went on, and my parents got divorced, and my dad and I began to take longer buddy trips. We'd go to, the, to Florida, to the coast, and we'd go out on the beach at night under the moon, and we'd sit until really late, and we would talk about everything. My dad would tell me about the seven months he spent in the clinic when he was 14, recovering from polio. And I'd tell him about my dreams to become a writer, and we'd argue about whether Da Vinci or Michelangelo was the better artist. <laughs> and when I was 13, 
we came out west. I'd never been west of the Mississippi, but my dad, we went to Montana and we got to see real cowboys and we saw backpackers in Colorado and everywhere we went, I just couldn't believe how big the skies were and how down to earth and real the people were. And I knew then that I had been born in the wrong place. And as soon as I could, I would come back out here. And I did for college. I came to Oregon. And then the buddy trips shifted, and my dad came to me, and I got to leave the buddy trips. And we'd go to Mount Hood and the Oregon coast, and I'd lead him around Portland's funky movie houses and coffee shops, and it was, again, just wonderful. After I graduated from college, I didn't really know much, except that I didn't want to go back to Alabama. And so the years that passed after that through work and travel and graduate school, it was almost like an obsession, like a fear that I was so afraid I was going to get sucked back to that place where I'd been born. And so this is probably why when I got that phone call, I wound up staying on in Tucson and he stayed in Alabama. And the next few months and almost a year went by and my dad was going downhill, but neither one of us would admit it. We both would explain his weakness on the weather or his lack of breath on a cold he'd had. And so that summer when my boyfriend asked if I wanted to go with him to Russia, I thought it was a great idea. I jumped at the chance and my dad thought it was great too. He was like, buddy, what an adventure to see Mother Russia. Um, and it was an adventure. It was great. Um, we lived in a house with seven other Russians in a tiny little apartment actually. And during the day, we would go to the palaces, and we would row on Ekaterinsky Lake, and at night, we'd sit around drinking vodka and quoting Pushkin. <laughs> and there was a coup. We had a real coup while we were there. The, the hardliners kidnapped Gorbachev, and they held him in the dacha, and we got to go into Leningrad, and we got to build barricades around the capital, and there was talk of civil war. And Eventually, it was totally exhilarating to see them topple the statues of Stalin and to rip down the Soviet flag and run it through the streets. It was great. But it was also a really hard summer because every time I called my dad 5,000 miles away, his voice was a little weaker and a little dimmer. So when I flew back to America in September, I went straight to Alabama only my dad wasn't at the airport the way he had been on all my other trips. His wife, my stepmom, was there. She said he was tired and we chatted on the way home. I was telling her about the bread lines and digging potatoes and all these different things. And finally, she stopped me and she said, you know, I think you'll see a change. Um, and I did. Right before I had left from Russia, I visited my dad and he was really frustrated. He was so weak, and he, we were unable to do all the things we used to do, and it really bothered him. But when I came home from Russia, there was this kind of peace around him. He was a big man, and he spent most of his time in bed at that point, and he looked kind of like a Buddha sitting there when I came in. And the next day, when my stepmom left to go on errands, my dad and I sat on this bed, and he really wanted to talk to me about what had happened, because while I had been in Russia, drinking vodka and having a coup, my dad had been coming to terms with the fact that he was dying. And he had a lot to say about that. He had 
logistic things to say. He wanted to tell me about this small life insurance policy he had. And he wanted me to take it and, and buy land, or at least make down payment on a land, because he felt like I'd been traveling around long enough. And he said to me, buddy, you know, how are you going to get your shit together when your shit is scattered all over the country? <laughs> he was right. Um, and he wanted to talk about his memorial service, which he wrote, and also about who wanted to be there. But mostly, my dad wanted to tell me how he felt about dying. And at one point he said to me, you know, buddy, I know you're going to be really sad when I'm gone. And I feel really bad about that. But I got to tell you, I'm kind of excited about this next adventure. <laughs> well, I wasn't excited at all. <laughs> I mean, we had only had one year of that promised six years. And I was not ready to lose my dad. And as he kept trying to talk to me, the only thing I could think was, who am I going to be when the person that knows me best is gone? Um, so I couldn't talk to him. I just sat there. I couldn't say anything. Um, and after a while, my dad gave up, and we went on to other things. And we wound up having this great week together. That weekend, I went to see my mom. I hadn't seen her yet, and I spent a couple of days at her house. She lived about 50 miles away. And then that night, Sunday night, it was this dark, stormy, nasty, nasty night in Alabama. I called my dad, and his, he sounded really bad. And I was like, you know, maybe I should come out tonight to see you. And there was this long pause, and then my dad said, you know, buddy, don't. I'll just worry about you on those roads. And I felt this huge relief, not because I was scared of driving in the rain, but because I still was in denial about what was happening. So we made plans to meet the next morning for breakfast, and then we hung up. Well, that particular next morning never came. My dad died. I had lost other people before that, grandparents, aunts, and it was weird. After all those other people died, I could really feel them around me. I felt that they were watching over me, and I even dreamed about them. But when my dad died, it was different. He was gone. I didn't sense him. I didn't feel like he was watching over me. Certainly didn't dream about it. And after a while, this began to really, really bother me. And I began to wonder if maybe I had disappointed him or upset him, or even hurt him by the fact that I wasn't there that last night, and that I couldn't talk to him when he needed to talk to me. And the craziest thing was, as much as I feared staying in Alabama, I found that I couldn't leave. I just couldn't leave the place where he'd been last. And so I stayed. I drove the roads that he used to drive, and I talked to people who knew him, and I did things that I thought he would have wanted me to do, but none of it really helped. I just fell into this very deep, dark depression. And after almost a year, I realized that I had to get out of Alabama. So I took my insurance money, got in my car, and I came back out to Oregon, and I started looking for that piece of land. <coughs> and I didn't really know what I was doing. 
Um, and so it took a long time. It took a couple of years, but I finally found it. I found these 18 acres out in the Columbia Gorge. It's a really pretty meadow, some big, tall, dug firs. And I went through this process of buying land, which also took a while. But finally, I did, and on the day that I signed the papers, I got my dog, I got my sleeping bag, and I drove up to the land. And I unrolled my sleeping bag in the meadow. And I went to sleep. And that's when I had the dream. Dad, stop. Remember, it's your heart. My dad just kept swimming like a porpoise <laughs> across the water. And when he finally made it to the other shore, he got out and he stood up straight like I had never seen my father stand in his whole life. And he waved at me. And he said, it's okay, buddy. I'm all right now. And then my dad turned, and without his crutches, he walked away into the trees.